Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here. In preparing for this message today, I thought about several things. I think the thing that's close to my mind is earlier this month, the Supreme Court made two major decisions that will affect each of us. The Obamacare and the same-sex marriage. And the ramification of these two laws are going to affect many of us in ways we never dreamed of. When I first heard it, I was very angry. And then I was depressed. And then I felt helpless. Like, why? Well, this morning, I don't want to waller in self-pity or to be buried in some new conspiracy theory. I want simply to remind us that each and every one of us We're pilgrims. We're pilgrims. Now, am I saying I'm not American? No. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. What's really important? Is our government important? Yes. But is it that important? to get angry about? Is it important for us to lose the joy of the Lord who is our strength over a political issue, over an economic issue? No, it's not. We are pilgrims. This side of eternity is going to fade one day. Every one of us in this room will die. Well, what are we going to do? We won't be an American, will we? We're going to be in front of the Lord. And to me, it's an awesome and fearful thing to think about that I will stand before God. And I'm going to give account to him for everything I say and do. And even this morning in being here at this pulpit, it's a fearful thing. I fear God. I don't see God when I was a child as an old man waiting to beat the snot out of me. No. I see a loving Father who cares about me and you. That's the God that I serve. But he is also a God of judgment. And there will be judgments, and we will see judgments in this land that we call home, America. But again, I want to remind us, this is not our real home. Our home is to be with the Lord. So this morning I want to focus on the topic or 
my sermon is being unmovable. Being unmovable. I think of, if you can picture with me, right behind me, is this huge rock. I mean, no matter how hard I would push on this rock, it's not going to go anywhere. God wants us to be immovable. He wants us to be like this rock. That no matter what political garbage that happens, no matter if folks our property is confiscated, no matter if they say, you're not worth living, Christian, boom, you're gone. What matters? We're pilgrims. But the problem is, we live in this real world, and I'm not advocating, let's stick our head in the sand and forget that anything is happening, because there are things that are happening as I speak. There are decisions that are being made. There are processes that I have no control over. I'm a pilgrim. And God has called me and you as pilgrims to be immovable. Not to be troubled. Not to be shook up. I don't know if you recall the story of, I believe it's John Wesley, is your John or Charles Wesley. When they were coming to America, the thing that surprised him was the they were in this horrible storm. And if you've ever been out at sea in a storm, it is terrifying. Believe me, it's terrifying. Yet, the story goes on, he was impressed by these group of people, these Christians who were calm in the midst of the storm. The things that will be taking place in this country and in the world will be terrifying. I'm not saying to get on a horse and get all fearful and worried and bothered. No, I'm not saying that. I want us to be immovable simply being stable, firm, and steadfast. When we look at Colossians 1.23, it says this, If indeed you continue in the faith, establish and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard, and it has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Well, just like Paul has become a servant, each and every one of us who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, we're his servants. And some of the things that may happen to us may not be so pretty, but we don't need to fear that. There's been times over the past several months of things that I'd read online and things I'd hear from people that uh, literally was making my head spin. And 
literally making me afraid. What is going to happen next? I don't have to worry about what's going to happen next. What I need to do is put my focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want the cares of this life, the government laws that have been passed, and there are more that are coming, and the cultural norms that dictate what I believe in my heart and soul. I want to continue in my faith. Now, I don't know if we'll have a little computer chip or someone try to brand a number on us. I'm not concerned with that. I remember in the 70s, we were all talking about the end times and all these things, and man, it'd be really freaky. But that's not what God's called us to do. He's not called us to be tied up in this world. Last week, Gordon preached about the Word of God is our standard. And it is through prayer and reading the Word that we can be equipped to do battle for our heart and soul because we have an enemy who seeks to destroy us by spinning our focus on this world, on these laws, on these individuals. That's not our focus. Our focus needs to be on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To be unmovable. God's love enables us to love, protect, to trust, and hope, and persevere. For it is God's love in us that enables us to bear all things, believe all things, hopes for all things, and endures all things. Here's four points I want us to focus on this morning about being immovable. Number one, it's the love of Christ that enables us to bear all things. Number two, it's the love of Christ that enables us to believe. Number three, it's the love of Christ that enables us to hope all things. And last, it is the love of Christ in us that enables us to endure all things. You may think, wow, that's, that sounds kind of up there. Well, it is. Where are you setting your heart on? Things of this life or things above. The scripture challenges us. That's where we need to put our focus on. So the first point is this. The love of God that enables us to bear all things. In a commentary, the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary, it says, it is the love of Christ that enables us to bear all things without speaking of what it has to bear. Now, what are we talking about here? Talking about being a man or a woman of God means bearing pressure, bearing difficulty, bearing injustice. It says the same Greek word in 1 Corinthians 9.12 says, it endures without divulging to the world personal distress. We've all heard of the term TMI, too much information. Sometimes people want to give 
too much information. Literally said, holding fast like a watertight vessel. That's what we need to be, like a watertight vessel that contains the things that we face. Now, I'm not advocating that we just clam up and not say anything to our brothers and sisters about prayer requests. But folks, we don't have to give all the reams and reams of information about how you're suffering. Okay? You're suffering. People need to know. Fine. You pray. You go on with it. You don't need to belabor the fact that, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. Well, all of us will be suffering for Jesus, folks. So let's bear one another as Christ has carried us, so we too are to carry others. In Galatians 6.5 it says, For each one is to carry his own load. Here is an interesting sidebar. ASAP said a man carries two bags over his shoulder, the one with his own sins hanging behind, and his neighbor in the front. So if you can picture with me, we all have to carry our own burdens. We've got that here. And then we also have that second bag in front of our neighbors. That's part of living in this life. You can be so self-centered. Oh, it's just me and me alone. That's not what Christ has called us to be. He's called us to carry our burdens, but we're also to carry other burdens, not just our own. You know, sometimes I, I think, uh, why do we do that? And then I was reading this comment here. It says, at times we struggle with self-conceit. And I read that it's the chief hindrance to forbearance and sympathy towards the frailty of other men and women. For example, what's your response to a homeless person? Ah, that man, he's lazy. Well, maybe. But that homeless person may have a lot of hurt. He may not be physically able, and he's begging. So what is the attitude we as Christians? I don't know him from Adam, but does that mean we should mock the poor? In Proverbs, it says, when you mock the poor, you're insulting God. We need to be careful about what we say about the homeless. Over the years when I was doing Medvan, we would always uh, see homeless folks, and we would see military veterans who, for whatever reason, they were damaged goods. They wanted someone to hear them. So we need to have compassion on them. Brother Lawrence, in his book, Practicing the Presence of God, makes this simple prayer that I want to encourage all of us to consider. Lord, I can't do this unless you enable me. 
You know, to live a Christian life is not an easy life. It's a lot of um, difficulties at times. But the neat thing about living for the Lord is that you're not alone. The second point I want to talk about is the love of Christ that enables us to believe. What do we mean by that? Unsuspiciously believe all that is not false. What do we mean? James 3.17 says, But wisdom that comes from heaven is first pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. In other words, thinking the best of people and not being naive at the same time. You know, I grew up with a skepticism. And sometimes being a skeptic, I don't think the best of people. Partly, there are con men and con women out there. And we need to not be naive. But we don't need to have the first defense in saying, the guy is a jerk. God is saying, look at that individual as I see him. God may show you that he's a crook. But the first response shouldn't be that. It is the Lord who gives us faith to believe in him and to believe in others. I can't do this unless I have the spirit of Christ in me. And, you know, as Gordon talked about last week about prayer, praying constantly, one of the things that uh, we as a house church, we've been reading the book, Practicing the Presence of Jesus, he really keeps over and over hammering that same idea, a continual looking to God, a continual praying, God, I want to do the right thing. Because I know in myself, I'm a, I'm a rat. But God's grace and his mercy is changing my heart more and more into the image of Christ. So it is a daily practice. Because I remember years ago when Dave Rader was here and he shared about before the big game, before the football game, they would have a hard practice. If it was a good, hard practice, and everyone knew their position and their places, the game would go well. It's the same way with us here. The game outside these doors. Are we preparing our hearts to hear God's voice, to hear his Holy Spirit speak to us? This morning, as we partook of the communion elements, to me, it's a serious thing. It's not just a wafer. It's not just a little thimble of grape juice. The body and blood of Christ. It's very precious. It's very sacred. 
every time that I partake communion, even though I was raised Catholic as a, a boy, I'm reminded of this sacred event. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It wasn't just a historical fact. For me personally, when I asked Christ into my heart, it became very real. I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. Moving along to the third point, it's the love of Christ that enables us to hope all things. Being able to have hope when others have ceased to have hope, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to meet people who have no hope. It's a terrible thing to be around people who have no hope when they're despairing and they're just saying, whatever. It's a horrible thing. We find the book of Revelation is a book of hope. It shows that no matter what happens on earth, God's in control. And here's the neat thing. It promises that evil will not last forever. And it depicts a wonderful reward that is waiting for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That we will see him face to face one day. That's very special. And that's a hope that the world can't take away. Now they may try to influence us and you may be around people who have no hope. But Christ is our hope and is eternal. Now my fourth point is this. It's the love of Christ that enables us to endure all things. That is also to say, to persevere in difficult seasons in life. Every one of us here in this auditorium has encountered some grave injustice at work with our family or even in our neighborhood. We're totally misunderstood or even persecuted, yet in Christ, we're able to be patient and to be kind to those who are not kind. As I look back in my life, when I first became a Christian, my time in the Navy and in school and work, there were seasons where it was very difficult. People would make fun of, oh, you're a goody two-shoe, you're a Christian. Well, God gives us grace. He gives us grace, number one, to forgive those people. And number two, that we can genuinely reach out. Yesterday I had the privilege of doing my old boss, Yard. She was grateful to see me and I was glad to see her. Now, you know the history of it. Uh, when I first worked with her, um, I remember telling Joel Vassanen one morning, 
this woman's preparing me for the end times. Why? This woman would berate me, say all sorts of garbage stuff, and just be mad. Just, I mean, you walk in and say, good morning. You know, and I've just gone, okay, you know. Um, at first, it was rough. Brothers heard me whine and whimper. And God sovereignly changed my heart to really love that lady and care for her. And now she is uh, she's having some challenges of her own. But she thought of talking to me. It was a good visit. You know, when people give you a hard time, I know this is a hard one and I appreciate when people give you a hard time, they're really in a sick kind of way wanting your attention. You ever thought about that? I don't like to think about that. I would rather find a cave and go crawl in it and not have to deal with that. But sometimes God brings the unlovely, the uh, difficult individuals, because they're really looking for truth. And they know there's something different about you. It's not because I'm just so good looking. No. And it's not because I have a full head of hair. I don't. It's Christ who lives in me. That's what makes the difference. Christ in us makes the difference. That we can persevere when injustice happens. That's not to say it's going to be pleasant. Oh, I just love, come on, beat, beat me some more. Beat me some more. No, I'm not saying that, folks. I'm saying God gives us a supernatural grace. A supernatural grace that is genuine and not made up. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, tells us this. My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord and your labor is not in vain. You know, there are some days when you go to work or you go to wherever that you wonder, why am I here? Someone else could be doing it. But you know what? God planted you there for that moment, for that circle of influence, as Bill had shared years ago. We all have a sphere of influence that no one else can meet but us. And you think, really? Yeah, it's true. We need to keep on doing the right thing, especially in the dry seasons of the soul. That's a term I hadn't heard in years when we we're reading this week, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. He made reference to that. The dry seasons of the soul. It's the part of living a Christian life that's kind of difficult. You wonder, why am I here? Is this really necessary? 
Do I have to do this? There's times where I have felt like throwing in a towel and, and giving up. And that's especially when I see the wicked prosper. Jim Grinnell shared this years ago, but um, I'm going to share it real quick. Psalm 73. This is a great passage to look at when your world just seems crazy. Beginning verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant. And when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are plagued by, they are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. I think of gangbangers. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their mind knows no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, and in their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure? In vain have I washed my hands in innocence? All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak this, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it was too oppressive to me. You know, I think about the Supreme Court rulings. It was oppressive to me. Oppressive to me. But here's the line, verse 17. This is the line we got to recall. When Ever that oppressive heaviness of injustice, of wickedness comes on. Verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Look to the Lord. Go to the sanctuary. Go to that quiet place. Even in our busy life schedule, turn off the radio. Go somewhere quiet. Say, God, I need your help. I need to come into your sanctuary. 
when we come to the sanctuary of God, when we come to that quiet place in our hearts, then we know. And then it doesn't really matter. Because this side of eternity is only part of the picture. It's not the end page. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fall, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. That's where we come in. It's Christ who enables us to endure all things. And especially when we go through the dry seasons of life, which we all will, we need to come to the sanctuary of God, that quiet place where you can clearly hear his voice. Then you'll see the fate of the wicked. You won't be envying how great they are. You'll be seeing the reality that there is a judgment coming on the wicked. Living a life that is unmovable can only be maintained as long as you keep the spiritual disciplines of prayer and study of God's word. You need the fresh air of God's spirit through prayer. And you need the spiritual nourishment of food and water that comes through daily reading and meditating on the scriptures. You know, before I went to China, there were some brothers that would approach me and say, Ah, the spiritual discipline, the spiritual discipleship is hogwash. Just trust God. Wrong. Wrong. When I lived in China, I didn't have the wonderful privilege that I have today to come to a nice church, to hear the word of God, or be around Christians. Some days were quite lonely there in mainland China. It was darkness. In fact, I'll never forget. There were two days that God gave me a sense of what it's like to be lost. It was horrible, folks. It was horrible. It was a reminder to me why he planted me in China for three years to give people a hope. Just like he's planted every one of us in here 
a place of responsibility, a job or vocation or a home, whatever. God has planted you there for a reason, a purpose. And if we neglect the simple spiritual disciplines of reading God's word, oh, I'm so busy, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to text this. No, turn it off, get into the word of God. It's a habit, and sometimes the habit, if you don't do it, it's like, well, I don't need to go out for a walk. I like being a couch potato. And what happens to your muscles? It's the same thing when you don't apply simple spiritual disciplines. You lose it. You forget about the goodness of God. You know, Beth and I were talking about how God met us throughout our married life. And the one story that really sticks in my mind of how I came to a place of resignation of where I just said, God, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. It was the last, I'm sorry, it was the last semester Beth was in graduate school at ORU. And I do yards, I do all sorts of odd jobs to make extra money because being a school teacher doesn't pay a great deal of money. And uh, I remember several days I'm going, God, no job. You know, in the winter, no one needs their yard mowed, no one needs their uh, leaves taken, and no one's interested in spending any money because they're paying on their taxes. So, God, I don't know how we're going to come up with this money. Well, one afternoon, I came home. The kids were at someone's house, and Beth was at school, and I came down, sat on my chair, and I said, God, I've done everything. I don't know how we're going to come up with this money. I go to the door, and it's my neighbor. And my neighbor says, I would like to buy that camper shell in your front yard. Really? I didn't have a for sale sign on that. In fact, I was using it as a little storage shed, but my wife hated it. She just wanted it moved. Well, how much you want for it? Mm, I just said a quick prayer. Lord, what? What amount? 400. So, whips out his, block, his uh, wallet, gives me four $100 bills. I'm going, what? I, you really want this? I mean, it was under our pine tree. There was needles. It was kind of, kind of scrubbly looking. Nah, you can clean it up, and uh, I'll come by and pick it up. So, clean it up, and Beth comes home, and she knows it's not there. And I said, looky here. Look how the Lord provided. 
And I didn't even have a sign in the front yard. Even though that's an old story, it's really special to me. God meets our needs. Maybe not in the timeline or frame that we think should happen, but he meets our needs. My prayer for us as a church is that we will seek to stand strong for God. What do I mean seeking to stand strong? Well, when the cares of this life and the politics and the craziness that people are going to do, shooting one another or whatever, our hope will be in God and God alone. It can't be in our police. It can't be in the guns we have because they may already confiscate them, you know, whatever. Our hope is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That is our hope. The one passage I was going to share earlier, but I felt more inclined to say it now, in 2 Chronicles 25.2, the story about King, King Amasa, who lived well before God and doing the right thing for the most part. But he wasn't wholeheartedly devoted to God. That was convicting to me. I read it and I thought, well, that feeds me, that challenges me, and I don't know about you all. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip. What I'm trying to say is this. You know, we may be living right before the Lord, but are we wholehearted? Are we willing to give him our all? I mean our all. Our family, our possessions, our very life. Are we willing to give it all for the kingdom of God? I believe we will be challenged that in the coming days. In closing, I'd like to share Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. God's saying here, he knows our hearts. He knows the intent of our hearts. Whether it's good or evil, we will stand before God. That's Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. It's a good passage to um, be reminded of. What is our duty? Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you want us to be immovable. You want us to be a people who will say, yes, Lord, and not have a question, well, are you really asking me that? Father, help us as your people to be wholeheartedly devoted to you 
And that as we call out to you in a simple, profound prayer, Lord, help me, help my unbelief. Help me to love that unlovable person. Help me to do the simple task that I'm struggling with. God, help me. Father, help us as your people to serve you all the days of our life. Not like men of old who thought it was a good thing to do, but their heart wasn't in it. Help us, Father, as your people, to seek and serve you with all our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.